John 14, verse number 12. These are the words of Jesus. And he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow, pretty powerful. So Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit here today. I need your assistance. Anoint your servant. I'd like to deliver this just as you would. Bless your people with unity and passion to serve, willingness to follow you and obey you, and to achieve the destiny you have planned for us. We celebrate your victory in the church and in the world today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm grateful for all that God has done, but I'm also grateful for all he is going to do. And the key to this passage is God always gets the glory. Always. If the Father is not going to be glorified, he is not obligated to answer the request. If you ask in Jesus' name, it must be that the Father is glorified. Jesus says that we who believe in him, you will do his works, and greater will you do. Greater. Our generation has been called to do greater things. Greater. One of the unintended consequences of hero worship that we see in our culture today. People begin to think, as they put someone up on a pedestal, you know, they become fanatical about their hero. We see that a lot in the sports world today, whether it's professional baseball or football or basketball or hockey or all the way down into the college levels. And so much so that stadiums are filled, packed out, thousands of people, Sometimes I feel like we're in the Roman Empire. Colosseum is full with people screaming and cheering, and the entire government around them is in full collapse. It's being shattered. And everybody's rushing into the Colosseum for the sole purpose of finding some distraction, something that will keep their mind off of the craziness going on in the culture. I feel like we're in that kind of a day. Hero worship. Then you see it, yeah, and they're wearing the shirts with the names of their favorite players and their numbers, and they're talking about the baseball caps and who their team is, and they've got the posters on the wall, and hero worship wherever they turn. They get fanatical about it because you see some greatness above average performers. There's a tendency toward hero worship. There's only one that you should worship. And his name is Jesus. Period. And some look at those who deliver their message well. The political orators. And if people are not careful, they put them up on a pedestal. Just because they have good skills with words doesn't mean that their character is good. Or that the way they go about life is good. So they think, well, and you see someone speaking in that capable way, you think, well, I could never do that. I could never stand up and deliver like that. I believe that's why God will use the seemingly insignificant. Now watch. 
For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh. Fleshly wisdom, nah, doesn't count much with God. It's spiritual wisdom from on high. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Wow. God says I use ordinary people. But I bless them in extraordinary ways, so I get the glory, and others can relate to them. I'm reminded daily, it's always the Holy Spirit who has done it. It's always the Holy Spirit who did it. There was a man studying to get his master's in counseling, and he had to write a report on how fame affects the children of the famous. People who have become household names, it affects their children. Sometimes they struggle under the weight of having to carry the name of their parent. How do they cope with the fame of their parents? Well, Jesus is dealing with this in this passage. He said, I'm going to the Father, but I will not leave you with an inferior sense about what you're going to do after I'm gone. I've done what I'm supposed to do, and after I'm gone, I want you to comprehend you are not inferior. No need to feel you can't live up. So Jesus messed the hero worship mentality totally up. And he said, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works. Your generation will do greater things than I've done. And this is how Jesus intends this generation, our generation, and the next generation to look. With such faith, with such expectation, with such advantage, that we, we live not expecting to do less, not to do less than, but to do greater things. And Jesus illustrates this story in the parable of the wineskins. And he says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. If you put new wine in old wineskins, as it expands the skin will crack and begin to bust open. And Jesus says, when there is a fresh move of the Holy Spirit, that's the context, when there is new wine, a type of the Holy Spirit, he said, you can't put it in an old wineskin. Now, some make the mistake of attempting to do the new thing in an old wineskin. <laughs> and he said that you can acquire a new wineskin. And how in the world do you change from an old to a new wineskin? Well, he's saying that in the new generation, this new hour, we must be open to change. How it is done is through change. There are people in church that have been in church all of their lives. They grew up in the church. Many of them have made great things happen in their day. Congratulations. You made the cut. Thank the Lord for you. There are people who were here when we first arrived. Next month will be 21 years. And they wanted new wine. But some of them didn't want it in new wineskin. They didn't want change, just new wine. The church began to modify, to step up into the times. 
and it has to happen for every generation. Music has changed, styles have changed, but the message and the anointing are the same. However, some old wineskins can't handle that. So they want to live in their past. They want to live in what it used to be like. They want to live in the years that were their heyday or highlight years. They want the new wine, but they don't understand if they bottle the new wine in an old wineskin, the current generation is not attracted to it. There must be next generation buy-in to who we are. And there are entire denominations that have refused to change the wineskin. Their seats are emptying. Their altars have been abandoned. Their kids are uninterested. So when they give out coffee in the lobby of their church, what they're saying is, you're really going to need this if you're going in there to worship because they will put you to sleep really fast. I refuse to become one of those pastors. I refuse to become one of those churches. We will always, always embrace and experience new wine. And if the Holy Spirit wants to change it today, he's welcome to change it today. Whatever you have for us, Holy Spirit, I want it. I'm in it. We can limit God when we think, well, I made that change, but I'm never going to change again. Perhaps God wants to bring a breath of fresh air into the body of Christ, and I will not become a stuffy, rigor mortis Christian. Hear Jesus. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Jesus is saying, I finished my course. There are some things I'm not destined to do here on earth. They are your portion in this race. I'm not going to do them. You're going to do them, and you will do greater things. Now, can you imagine how those disciples felt? None of them had a degree in theology. None of them had any background that qualified them to go out and change the world. Fishermen tax collector, contract workers. Can you imagine? Calloused hands. Jesus totally bypasses the Sanhedrin. They knew the law. They were the doctors of the law. They could quote the Old Testament. Listen, but Jesus bypasses them, and he chose to use 12 men he personally mentored for three and one-half years. So there was training by the master himself, who demanded you follow my model. He said, you will change the world. I did something extraordinary. I died for the sins of the whole world. I am resurrected, but greater works will come through you. Imagine how they felt when Jesus challenges them like this. Well, this is how Jesus sees his church. He does not see his church decreasing. He does not see his church falling backward, some pitiful group barely hanging on, begging him to come back before Antichrist stamps 666 on your forehead. Jesus sees his bride with combat boots on, armored up, radiant, full of his presence, overcoming more than a conqueror, an impact player. That's how he sees his church. So when is a new wineskin justified? Whenever you see new wine, it's time to put it in new wineskins. 
Let me say it like this. Here's how that tracks. The minute the music sounds a little more upbeat than you're used to, your response should be, oh, it's a new song to learn, and I should learn the words to that, and I should engage and get into the middle of that. We still sing the great old hymns, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Pastor Michael does a masterful job in blending our worship with some of the old and some of the new that we learn. We sang blessed assurance. But how many churches and denominations would not create a new wineskin? The whole movement of praise and worship blocked from their churches. And here's the danger when you do that. Listen carefully. To preserve their kind of church, they give their children away. Their children lose interest. Because every generation has its own sound. Every generation has its own look. Every generation has its own way of expressing. Jesus said, I don't want you to expect less. I want you to expect greater things in your generation than the previous generation has experienced. He who believes in me, the works that I do. Do you understand what it costs them to believe in Jesus in that day? Do you understand what it's costing people being raised in Middle Eastern countries today, controlled by Muslim populations, what it costs them to serve Jesus today? Do you understand the persecution that is happening in those places with their churches burned to the ground, with them being arrested, tortured, murdered, because they dare stand up and proclaim, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Do you understand that children were ostracized, and they still are today, and they're belittled, and they can't find work because they profess their name, the name of Jesus? Sometimes when you attend a church that's open to the Holy Spirit, like ours, some may criticize you in our culture. Some may ridicule the fact that you lift your hands and you open your mouth to worship. Jesus said this, if you believe in me, if you believe in my ability to perform miracles, if you believe I can still heal the sick, you can do the same thing in even greater works than these because I go to my Father. We might not be exactly like some other church, but we are to take up the new wine that God has for us and be who we are called to be. Calvary Christian Center, God called us to be a church that believes in His Word, that believes in the move of the Holy Spirit, that believes in His works, that we love, live, and lead like Him. We will never do away with our dependency on the Holy Spirit. We are a Spirit-filled church. Why is it in America? Anything with the word miracle attached to it is looked upon as weird. But a doctor tomorrow can prescribe you a pill you can't pronounce, and you will immediately swallow it. And the moment one says, Jesus can heal, Jesus can deliver, Jesus can set free, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the attacks begin. So we believe that God can break through here today, do we not? That someone who doesn't have any help or hope can believe in Jesus and receive a miracle on this Sunday morning. My God is able. Let's not sing about it and then doubt it. My God is greater. 
Our God is Lord. He is healer. He moves mountains. Say miracles still happen in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you, and that's Jesus, Jesus promised to you. I just read it. It's my text. Let me tell you what a new wineskin is and why it's important. Let me describe it, how it works. A new wineskin is when you become a parent. And you begin to realize generations and genealogies are very important. And that is when you will need to put on the new wineskin, one of those times. And it's no longer church attendance, sitting, soaking, getting to Calvary Christian Center so I can receive my blessing, my blessing. When you become a parent, listen, you have to put on a new wineskin. It's no longer just about me any longer. Spirituality is about my children and my children's children. This is his church. Some pastors get so enamored with their today, they forget about the next generation. They forget about those coming after. And we need to have a Holy Spirit bucket list in the church. Before I leave, I want to see my children doing greater things than I've done. And you have to comprehend that your, no, your generation is no longer the center. You're no longer the center of attention. We are not here to drench ourselves. We are here to put on a new wineskin and be encouragers, be facilitators for the next generation so they can step to greater heights, into greater things, greater anointing, greater vision, greater dreams, impacting our world for Jesus Christ. The self-centered Christian says, I just want my same seat. My same parking place. If I can't get it, I'll go somewhere where I can. Some Christians have this attitude, you're just lucky I'm here. The people who have new wineskins understand, no. They don't sing all the songs we used to sing. But this generation is praying at the altars at our church. This generation has got their hands raised. This generation is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And for some of those old songs, thank God they went bye-bye. Not all of them, but some of them. I don't want to sing, We Are Christ Ambassadors. I don't want to sing that song anymore. I sang that until I sang it out when I was a kid. No more. Thank you. The methods of God are always adaptive to each generation and you have to keep changing the wineskin if you're going to be fresh. I love to be around people who stay fresh in the Spirit of God. That requires change and adaptability because the next generation is here. They don't have our insecurities. Some people think the new generation needs to be humiliated. They need to suffer some of the things that we did. They need to be humbled. They need to take some extra laps. Pastor, people don't think like that. Oh, yes, they do. I've had them say that. When I was the young generation, I had them say that to me. We'll keep you humble. Yeah. Listen, the Holy Spirit will take you through all the training that you need. He'll put you through whatever it is that needs to come out of you and squeeze it out. But some think 
They have to track just like they tracked. And maybe God has blessed us so much that he desires for this generation, our generation, to store blessings through us to pass on to the next generation. So when they run their laps, they're better equipped than our generation was. And that's what God did for David, the king. David laid up treasures for Solomon. Do the research. Read the Bible. David stored up over a billion dollars to build God's temple. Think about that. We speak about the wealth of Solomon, but it was the wealth of King David that he inherited. Solomon never engaged in a war. David came home with blood splattered all over him nearly every day. David had scars on him everywhere. David fought war after war, battle after battle. David had to fight, but Solomon never had to fight. And David never put his son down and said, you're you're not ready to build the temple. You haven't been through what I've been through. You're not worthy to do that. See, Solomon never sat on a hillside as a shepherd boy in rags, fending off lions and bears. No, Solomon lived in a palace. Solomon sat on a throne. He wore an Armani robe and Versace shoes. But someone to put down the next generation... The theme being, when I was your age, I walked five miles to school every day, and I got blisters all over my feet. Listen, if you speak to a nuclear scientist today, you're going to meet someone who knows more than Sir Isaac Newton knew. In the scientific, listen, because Newton passed forward his information and his knowledge. In the scientific community, They want the next generation to be endowed with more knowledge than the previous generation. They don't look at the up and coming and say, we don't want you to have the knowledge that we struggled for. Get it on your own. We fought hard to discover gravity. (laughs) And they want the next generation to have that and go further in knowledge and further in inventions and further in wisdom, and further in discoveries. Why doesn't the church have that mentality? Why don't we become like David as God's people, laying up treasures for the next generation? So when they step into leadership, they're better equipped than ever. They don't have to go through hell. They don't have to make the same mistakes. They don't have to go through addictions. They don't have to go through the experience of broken families because we created a platform for them. Now they can take it further. They can take it higher. I thought Solomon was wealthy, and he was. But it was his father who laid up the wealth for him, and it made him wealthy, and he built the temple of God, and it was filled with the Spirit of the Lord and the glory of God. Because we enter into the labors of other men. When I became your pastor, I entered into the labors of Pastor Long. What he had done in groundwork, I was able to enter into those labors and continue. God designed it that way. Jesus said, you're going to do greater works than I. And that had to stun their thinking. You will go further than I've gone. You will do more than I've done. You will do it faster. You will do it more powerfully, collectively, greater than I've done. 
greater scale. We have to grow to the place in the kingdom of God, and there's something more important than individual pride and importance. Forget the personal legacy. We have a mission to reach our generation for Jesus Christ. That's the mission. Being remembered here is just not all that important. But let's be sure that faith is passed to the next generation, that we hand it off to them in such a way that there's absolutely no slippage, but in fact, even greater than what it was. Several years ago, there was a track team, and they were competing in a relay. There were four runners on each of the teams, and each runner, of course, responsible for one lap each. And this one team had lost every single race the whole season. They were zero for 12. I mean, last race of the season, and they're running against the team in their division that had been undefeated all season. They were 12 and 0. When they walked out onto the track, one of their team members saw a team member from the opposing track team. And he said, his legs come up to my ears. I mean, this guy is like giant, long legs. So we don't have a prayer. The other team is so much faster than we are. The underdog team, not having won a single race all season, huddled together before the gun sounded, they looked at one another and they said, they're going to win. <laughs> so let's just go out there and relax and not hurt ourselves. So they all lined up. And the anchor runner, the last of the four to run, of course, is there, and he's watching and observing, and the gun goes off, and the race begins, and runner number one takes off, and it was like a miracle had began to happen. He's running faster than he'd ever run before. When he comes around to turn the turn to pass the baton on to runner number two, he's got a significant lead over his opponent on the undefeated team. Runner number two is shocked. As he's running and he picks up the baton from the hand of the other, and he's 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 just watched runner number one run faster than he's ever run all season. So now he's all amped up as he's running to keep pace and cadence, and he grabs the baton, his eyes are bulging, his heart is beating, and he grabs that baton and he takes off. And he does the unimaginable. He retains the lead. He makes the turn. So he comes around to pass the baton off to runner number three. He's still in the lead. And runner number three is blown away. So he grabs this baton in full stride as fast as he can. And he says, I'm going to run as fast as I can, and then I'm going to accelerate. <laughs> and the crowd's all on their feet, and everybody's in it, and the place is going crazy. And the anchor runner is watching as runner number three retains the lead, and he's heading for the turn to pass the baton. And he jumps into the middle of, of the race, and he prays, God, let him stumble. Let him drop the baton. I don't want all this pressure. But runner number three gives him the baton and gives him the lead. And the anchor said, I ran like I never ran before. It wasn't the race. I was running for my life. <laughs> and number, runner number four finishes that race, and his team wins for the first time. He said, when I broke the tape, the first thought came to me that I, the, the, the race has been sabotaged because I never felt the tape on my chest before. I'd never busted the tape myself. He said, somebody's trying to trap me or knock me down. Now, what's the passion 
of a relay runner. What's the passion? He wants to hand off the biggest lead he can to the next runner. That's the passion. He wants the next runner to go into his lap with more momentum than he has ever had before. That's what we're called to do. This is what faith is about. This is what we as parents are called to do. To say to our next generation, I will place this in your hands with such momentum, with such a belief system in place. Our family's been running this race for generations, and we're passing it on to a new generation in our family. We are asking you to run this, to take what we have and take it further, take it higher, take it greater than we did, to do what Jesus told us to do. So I look at the words of Jesus, and I think, Jesus, did you mean that? When you looked at the 12 and said, I go to my Father and expect you to do greater things? So I say to our students at Calvary Christian Center, God's will for you is to dream no small dreams, to think no small thoughts. He has a dream for you, and it's greater things than we have seen or we have imagined, that Jesus will be glorified through you, that your gifts and your talents would honor the name of the Father and the God you serve. God doesn't want you insecure. He doesn't want you thinking you have to start from scratch, that you don't deserve this, that you're less than because, you know, momentum was given to you. You are not less than. An inherited blessing is the plan of God. That's a great reason to serve the Lord. When you serve the Lord, you don't pass on the baton of cursing. You pass the baton of blessing. And the blessing is greater on every generation coming after ours. Did you hear what I just said? It's greater for every generation coming after ours. In my heart today, I hear this truth. If you believe in me, if you believe that I am who I say I am, I declare that he is the great I am. He is still doing what he did, what he was he still is. He's not the great I used to be. He's not the great one day I'm going to be. He is the great I am. He's here right now. And there's nothing he cannot do. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You need a miracle? You need God to break through? You need God to sovereignly heal you or deliver you? Will it glorify the Father? Go ahead and thank the Lord He's here and that your intentions and motives are to bring glory to Him and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for hearing my prayer. I'm asking you in the name of your Son, Jesus, and I'm expecting that what you said you will do. I'm declaring this holy ground today. I believe in God. I believe He does miracles and I believe in us. We are his church, his body. And we've got a job to finish. And I believe in the next generation. We will give them an inheritance. The sick will be healed in services here today. Addictions will be broken in church here today. God has greater things 
than what you and I have lived for. Greater things. And he says to us, I have greater things than the small living that you have been involved in. I have great, greater purpose for your life. Greater for your generation. Receive my will for your life. Surrender to me. I've got greater things than you have imagined. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. My dream is that my children not just remember their daddy's legacy. But what they do is so amazing that they make an impact and difference. Some of you may not have heard John Osteen preach. I heard John Osteen preach several times. He was a great man of God's word. Humble beginnings, handful of people in Houston, Texas. No longer welcomed in his denomination because he became a spirit-filled pastor. John was a phenomenal man of God with great integrity. Touched lives everywhere in the world because that little handful of people in Houston grew to a church of 8,000 people. And in his early 80s, he passed the baton. He's still pastoring, still preaching. He passes the baton. Now, there were people in his church who thought that ministry is going to end John has passed. The end of an era and the end of a ministry. But he spoke to his son, Joel, before he died. And he said to him, you're going to follow me. Now, Joel was not a pastor. And he was very reluctant. And he had done a lot of other things, but that was not anything he had ever done. And he thought, these are awful big shoes to fill. I'm not sure. Joel, but Joel grabbed that baton in faith. And he did not limit himself to his father's ministry. Today he fills the compact center in Houston because they own it and they pack it every Sunday. The wine has shown up in a new skin. No, he's not the seasoned preacher his father was. That comes with time. But he's touching lives in a new generation. And he's making a difference in the lives of a whole lot of people. God wants to pour generational blessings on your family wants it to be passed from one generation to the next. Blessings that increase from one generation to another. So I'm asking you, saints, put on a new wineskin to live for something other than yourself. And Lord, I'm asking you for, ministers, for miracles here today in these services like there were this morning and that they'll be tonight. Because if you need a miracle, you're in the right place. So I boldly stand here today and I proclaim to you, Jesus Christ is the miracle worker. He will do today what he did yesterday. He is a God of the miraculous. Do you believe it? Do you expect it? Will the Father be glorified when you ask of him in the name of his son Jesus? Then stand to your feet and thank the Lord in advance. Say, Lord, I bless you. And I thank you in advance.